Welcome back to another episode of 5am Theology. Rose, every year I get to these passages. One of them is Joshua 8, 30 to 31. That's one I'm, I'm going to read now. But I always see these things about uncut stones, altars of uncut stone. So I'm going to read Joshua 8, 30 to 31. And I want to know what you're thinking. And it says, at that time, Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal to the Lord, the God of Israel. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool has been used. And on it, they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and they sacrificed peace offerings. That's Joshua 8, 30 and 31. And I've been thinking a lot about this admonition to use uncut stones. Yeah, I admit I hadn't really thought a lot about it, but there's another scripture that's like it in Exodus 20, 24 to 26, it says, you shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gold, you shall not make for yourselves. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. So yeah, I haven't and thought about all this stuff on uncut stones, but there is. There's a lot. Deuteronomy 27 verses two to six basically says the same thing as you and I both just read. So I, you know, have this question in my mind, why the repetition here? Why the explicit instructions not to shape or cut the stones, but to use them as they're found? So I got to thinking about it. And first, this would distinguish the appearance of what they brought their offerings to from their pagan neighbors when they get into the promised land who were fashioning carved images with tools. Good point. But I think there's even more to this uncut stone thing. This uncut stone used for making the altar, I think it relates to Jesus. I think it relates to Christ. Jesus is often portrayed as the rock or the cornerstone, even as the Israelites wandered and got thirsty in the desert, God quenches their thirst from the rock. And that rock is a picture of Christ. So I think there's more to this here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I agree that Christ is the rock. Matter of fact, we talk about it in no half truths. Isaiah 8, 14 says, then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And obviously Isaiah is pointing to Jesus. And yeah. in the New Testament, Paul talks about it in Romans 9. He says, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Jesus, without a doubt, is a stumbling block to those who don't believe. He's a major, he's a wall. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> so his message is offensive to unbelievers. But for believers, as Psalm 18.2 says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the sword of my salvation, my stronghold. Again, he's like a wall for believers too, but not in the same way. Yeah. Going back to this uncut stone idea, he's the stone the builders rejected, which became the chief cornerstone. We see that in Psalm 118, 22. 
And there's lots of references to Jesus being a rock. Mark 12, 10, Luke 20, 17, Matthew 21, 42, Acts 4, 11, and 1 Peter 2, 7. Many in Israel rejected the rock and they clung to their man-made traditions, which in essence become their idols. And we could go on and on. There's like a hundred verses or so that talk about Jesus being the rock. And I just think this whole idea of uncut stones and man-made things becoming idols ties in here. I agree. And that Psalm 118, 22, that he's the stone the builders rejected. A lot of those verses you quoted from the New Testament, they're just quoting that because I think that's the most quoted verse or something in the New Testament. I remember we did research on something. might've been for no half truths. I didn't know it was the most quoted verse. I remember reading that somewhere. Don't don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure that I remember reading that. <laughs> Neat. Jesus himself is the rock, the cornerstone on which the church is built. And there's a little confusion about this with some thinking Jesus is talking about Peter because he's talking to Peter about this. But Jesus is talking about himself. Yes, not Peter as the first pope. No. And just because his name Cephas sounds a little like the word rock, he is not the rock the church is built on. Nope. All of the verses we looked at and Jesus being the cornerstone confirm that. A cornerstone is the stone the entire foundation is built upon. So how could it be Peter? How could it be a sinful man? It has to be Jesus. It has to be God that's the cornerstone and the foundation of the church. Right. Daniel points to Jesus being the stone that will crush the kingdoms of the earth. He says in Daniel 2.34, you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue of its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Peter yeah, can't do and, that. No. And here we have again, G, a picture of Jesus uncut, cut without the hands of a man. And I just... I just started thinking about this and all the tie-ins when King Solomon was going to build the temple. First Kings six says when the house was built, it was built with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor ax nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. So the stones were cut away and then brought in to build the temple. And I think it's interesting that people will come and worship God in his temple where no tool was heard fashioning it. Hmm. But, you know, it was indeed fashioned with tools. And I think this is how we know that this can't be the final temple. There's something better not built with human hands, as it says in Daniel. And this is another, I think, why it's foolishness to think that Jesus is going to come back and have people worshiping in a third man-made human temple, as some falsely read into the book of Revelation. Yeah, especially because... Jesus pretty much says he's the temple when he says, destroy this and I'll rebuild it in three days. Yep. Chris, if we want to sum this up, the Israelites didn't create the animals that they sacrificed or the materials they used for the altars. Everything they used was from God. So using uncut stone or only earth, I think as Exodus puts it, shows us that exactly what we have to offer when we come to the altar to atone for our sin And guess what that is? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing, Except the sin that needs saving from. (laughs) Yep. 
salvation is 100% a work of God. And I love that you're tying the uncut stones into this because I completely agree. God does the saving start to finish. The father chose who he would save before the foundation of the world. And we see that in Ephesians 1. The Holy Spirit regenerates the dead hearts of those chosen by God, which enables us to understand and respond to the finished work of Jesus. In other words, respond to the gospel. Said the only thing we bring to our table is a great need and a lot of sin. Absolutely. It's a monergistic work. We need to approach God empty-handed, not with some right decision or anything else. We come totally empty-handed. Yeah. So he doesn't need us to cut the stones. No, he doesn't. And in fact, we're commanded not to. And that's a good place to end this morning. Have a blessed morning.